So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I am so excited about today's guest. This is going to be such an interesting conversation. Um, it was actually hard to even uh, uh, get started with the podcast because I just have so many questions, and, and we've been talking here for a bit. So I, I just stopped. I'm like, we got we to start recording. So um, without any further ado, I'm going to bring him on in here. And Matthew, how you doing? I'm doing terrific, mate. I'm ecstatic to be on. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Now, you have such an interesting uh, past and story, and uh, uh, I really want to dive into this and give, before we go into to, to too much here, give a framework on who, who you are, okay? Um, obviously, uh, you're not originally from the United States, can tell by your accent. You so people will be able to tell? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe a little, but... <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, g give us some background because you, you've done so many interesting things. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm known as the rapid growth guy um, and predominantly because, you know, I, I built five multi-million dollar businesses from the ground up before I turned 30. And now I predominantly spend my time helping other people realize that, you know, to get out of that hamster wheel of struggling to find interested prospects, setting themselves apart and making the sale, they need to get out of the scope of their functional skill and really learn the things that are actually a lot easier than they think. But the fact that they spend no time on them end up leaving them leading much more mediocre lives than what they truly deserve. So that's really what my, my time is, is spent on right now. But, you know, predominantly, I mean, my background, I mean, you know, while now people see me speak and they they see me on podcast interviews and go, that guy's got the gift of gab, you know, he can just sell anything to anyone or, you know, go up and speak from stage. I think this is a big problem that we see all the time. We see someone that's successful and go, oh, it's easy for them. They're an extrovert. They've just got it. Yep. And I mean, for me, I mean, that was anything but the case. I mean, when I was in late high school, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. I was horribly introverted. I mean, I got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome. And, you know, for those that are watching the video version of this, it means I put on these this pair of uh, colored lenses and miraculously I can, you know, I can read. It doesn't mean I can I read like everyone else. So when I was diagnosed, I had a two year hustle to catch up, but it meant I could start the process of reading. But if you can imagine a guy that was introverted anyway, bad acne braces with funny lenses and used to being the slow kid at school, it wasn't exactly the most you know, empowering environment for a kid to become super, you know, outspoken. So for me, I mean, I was super introverted, had no idea what I wanted to leave, uh, do with my life. And it was really happenstance that got to me, got me to where I am today. No, that's, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because uh, when I was in school, I, so I'm dyslexic. And they couldn't figure out why I couldn't get things right or whatnot. And they thought that that's what I had. So I had to do all the tests with the reading. Like, they'd give me colored sheets, right? And I'd have to read all these books. And, I'm, and you know, as a kid, I was like, why do I have to read with these colored <laughs> lens? And I didn't, I couldn't ever figure out. But that's what they thought was the problem. It wasn't. But that's, uh, so that's funny. So you're... You know, hilarious. I got diagnosed with dyslexia. I got, it was the other way for me. And they thought I was, <laughs> I was, I wasn't applying myself. And I, I would have died for someone to give me a colored piece of plastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I was so confused. I'm like, I don't get it. The words still don't make sense. <laughs> but no, it might be why you're there today, though, because it's funny how many people that had learning disabilities growing up that because, like, for me, the world didn't work for me. So I had to find new pathways. And that's yes. the 
the way I think a lot of people live in this world where there, there are two options, fight or flight, right? So yeah. I'm either just going to give up, which sadly so many small business owners do, yeah. or I'm just going to grind it out, like that hustle grind mentality. I'm like, no, like find a great strategy that makes it easy for you. And if there isn't one, invent one. But I mean, you know, I'm living proof that you can create a system out of selling. You can create a system out of networking. You can create a system speaking from stage. All those things that you have to have this so-called gift of gab that's these extroverted you know arenas they're just not the problem is we set these barriers for ourselves i mean one of the things that regardless of whether you're introverted or extroverted that you should know is there really is no skill set that's out of your reach you just have to learn a system that works for you the problem is a lot of times we gravitate to the wrong mentor like if an introvert shouldn't learn from an extroverted mentor because they'll say oh it's easy to sell you just do this well it's not easy for us Yes. No, I could not agree more with that. And it, you know, it's interesting because it, this idea of, oh, it would be nice, right? Oh, it'd be nice if I was just gifted, things like that. And same with me. I do a lot of speaking and everything. And I was a, I don't even want to say terrible. It was an embarrassment speaking, right? Um, it was really bad. Um, and I think that had partially to do with my lack of being able to study and different things like that. So I just didn't know what I was talking about. And I just, get up there and look like a moron. Um, but this flight or fl- uh, fight or flight that you have to figure out. And, it, you know, for me, I had very supportive parents that were like, hey, no, we're going to figure this out and you have to keep going. And, you know, but a lot of us don't, or we just assume that if I don't have those things, I can't do that. I can't accomplish big things. I can't do those, uh, accomplish those goals. So how did you come to realize or get over that? I think there are a couple of different reasons, I think. Well, firstly, I understand why a lot of people don't. I mean, let's face it. If you go back 200 years, not succeeding meant starvation. But these days, I mean, let's face it, life's not so bad. you still got lights. You've still got roof over your head. So a lot of times that necessity kind of dissipates. But, I mean, for me, I mean, if we look at my life, so, you know, I, because of this reading issue, I got to 18, I graduated and, you know, I got into the top 20% of my state. So I actually didn't do that bad because two years, you can do a lot if you really hustle. But in truth, I was exhausted and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I think my family could see that if I didn't know what I wanted to do in college, there's no way I would have, I would have stuck it out for another three, four years. So we all agreed that I was going to take a gap year. But I mean, my dad broke his back 80 hours a week to support the family. There was no way I'm going to Europe. Well, we couldn't afford to go to Europe. There was no way I was going to sit on the couch and watch Oprah either. Like I was working. So I could only do it if I found a job. And I found a job selling, uh, sorry, I found a job doing real estate at a real estate agency. But I wasn't the guy out the front doing the sales part. I was the guy in the back office doing the data entry with the look on my face like, don't talk to me. I'm here to find myself, right? So. I'm about three weeks into that job and my boss comes up to me and he goes, Matt, I'm so sorry. We just we just got word from head office. They're closing down this premises. You're out of work. I mean, this is Australia at Christmas time. No one wants to lose their job at that time. I mean, we go on holidays on the 20th of December and we don't come back till the 15th and 20th of January. I mean, it's backwards, right? Australians, everything's backwards, right? The toilets <laughs> go around the wrong way, but the weather's backwards as well, right? I mean, it's summer break and Christmas at the same time. Yes, it's hot at Christmas time. But that's the thing. Everyone takes time off. They spend time with their family. They go to the beach. They don't go and, you know, by the fireplace. No one wants to have a fireplace on in the middle of summer. But the, the thing is that you can't get work. 
the only jobs I could find, and like as soon as I found out, I went and bought the classifiers and I was like looking relentlessly for work. And it didn't take long. I mean, there was only like three jobs posted. There were all these things called commission-only sales roles. So here I am, terrified of my own shadow, you know, struggle to talk to my own friends, but a little bit more scared to tell my dad I lost my job and I got nothing lined up. So I applied for all three jobs before I went home and I got interviews for all three. So I went I went to all three job interviews and I got all three jobs. Turns out they hire everybody, right? You know, my, my manager that hired me, it's terrible. I mean, my manager that hired me was business to business telecommunications door to door, right? Yeah. And his favorite saying was we just throw mud up against the wall and we see what sticks, which sounds yep. awesome until you're the mud. Exactly. <laughs> so after five days product training and not a single second of sales training, I get thrown on this road called Sydney Road in Melbourne, Australia. Like Google it if you if you're sitting in front of a computer, but it is like a thousand junk stores on either side. And I get told to just go sell. And I go to walk in the first door and I have this realization. I've had five days of product training, but no one taught me how to sell. I don't know what to say when I walk in. So I take a deep breath and I go in and I'm politely told to leave. Luckily, politely told to leave, I should say, because the next person swore at me. Straight after that, I was told to get a real job. That was always my favorite, right? It was the only job I could get. But door after door, that just kept happening until I got to the 93rd door where I made my first sale. And I remember I was ecstatic for I don't know, about 45 seconds until I realized I got to do this again tomorrow. Sure, I'd made $70, but that reality was like, no, thank you. Yeah. So this is where that fight and flight mechanism happens, right? So I was in a training group of 20. Two people came back the following day. Right, so the 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 fight really isn't that strong in a lot of people, right? It's the yeah. you, we run away more often, but the people that stuck it in, I mean, it's not their business, right? If you run your own business, you're more likely to hustle it out and fight it through. But this wasn't your dream. You're selling telecommunications door to door. Forget it. But for me, I didn't really want to do the hustle thing either. I was like, okay, that means my year's going to suck. So what I did, because, and again, coming back to what we said before, you know, you being dyslexic, me having Erlen syndrome, the truth is the world doesn't really work for us. So I went, well, the world never really worked for me. So if those are the two things that most people do, what's my third option? Which always occurs to me, if if there's no good option, what's the third? And for me, I had made the decision that sales had to be a system because if it wasn't a system, my year was going to be horrible. So I went, well, how am I going to learn this system? Well, I could pick up a Brian Tracy or a Zig Ziglar book with my reading speed. That would take me a year to read the book, let alone apply it. So what else is out there? And we were just, I mean, Australia was a little bit further behind on this internet revolution, but we were just getting YouTube back then and we just got past dial-up. So it didn't buffer all the time. (laughs) And it was great, right? So I typed in a sales system in YouTube and all these videos came up. And then I focused, like literally eight hours, I'd be out in the field selling And then eight hours, I would come back and I would practice. And then weekends, I'd spend 16 hours practicing. Now, I'm sure this doesn't sound fun to anyone, but remember, I didn't know what I was doing and I had no guidance. That was what I did. But what would happen is every day I'd get better. So soon it was 71 doors and then it was 46 doors and then it was 34 doors and then it was 28, then it was 19, then it was 12, then it was seven. I got it down to one on every three doors I'd make a sale. Wow. about six weeks in, my manager pulls me into his office. And he's got this puzzled look on his face. I thought I was in trouble, but I mean, in truth, I was the quiet guy that handed my paperwork in downstairs and then sat upstairs by myself, really, while all the boisterous talk- people talked about how hard the market was getting. And he said, Matt, we're a little bit blown away by this, but we just got our national sales figures. And it turns out that you're the number one salesperson in the company, which happened to be the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. So, 
like it, they were blown away by it. But what I was blown away with was because of that, they assumed that I had management potential and they promoted this guy that had no idea how to manage. I don't know why people think that that's something we can do, right? So <laughs> I was given my own 20 people to throw mud up against the wall. All of them quit within 24 hours, all of them. Back to YouTube to learn how to manage. My next group stuck around and I got promoted about seven times in the space of 12 months. And then I went and started up my own business and, you know, Fast forward a decade, I was responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. So I think one of the things that, you know, to come back to when people are like, well, how did you, why did you do it when other people didn't? I think the answer is that I had, you know, my father, worrying about my father forced me to push through, but also looking for another option. And I think that everyone that's listening, no matter what your adversity or what your struggle is, we don't really, I mean, if I had gone home to my father, I'm sure he might have been mad but, or disappointed what we're all scared of these days. But, you know, that was probably the much, most I was risking. A lot of it was self-imposed worry, concern, a want to impress my father. But I put myself against the wall. I put my own back up against the wall and said, what is the right path? What is the next step? What is the solution to get myself out of this? And I feel most people go too hard or it doesn't work for me and they give up now. And that was my unwillingness to do so. And I think anyone that excels now, they've had an adversity that shocked them to the fact that they had to find their way out of the box themselves, not do what everyone else was doing. No, that that's just awesome. And, I, you know, everyone listening to this podcast knows that I'm a huge fan of, of sales. That's how I got started, too, um, selling insurance. Um, and there's, you know, there's so much that you learn through this process. Um, and I think the greatest thing you learn is failing, which you talked about. You've talked about how to improve your failing process. You spent, and I love how you talked about how you just went down, as in you're still failing, but you just, your success rate was just going up, but failure never left, right? And it was never gone, but you could whittle down risk. You could whittle down, uh, you know, the things that were going wrong. And you did this by developing a process that worked for you. And then the better you created and honed in that process and the things that you needed to say and that you needed to do, that was all centered around you performing in that task. And that's what got you there. In fact, too, it would probably, you probably would have been worse off if somebody would have come and said, hey, listen, Matthew, this is how you do it, right? You got to say this. Here's your script. Go out there. You probably would have failed miserably and never realized and just said it was me and quit. So you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. So I, I spend you know, my life now helping people understand what I call the three steps to rapid growth. And I think sales is step three, right? There's a lot you can do in step one and two around, you know, separating yourself, differentiating and niching down to remove a lot of the heavy lifting from the sales world. But when it comes down to selling, yeah, you, you have to understand that sales is a system. You have to find a system that works for you. If you're a sales manager, you have to, I would always say, get your salespeople to learn the sales system that you have before they start changing it for themselves because usually it's a laziness thing and they're like, oh, it doesn't really work for me or, oh, it doesn't really feel right and they give up. But what, what I find is that if they go through the process of learning and I'm not, the trouble with scripting is a lot of people will think about oh, well, I remember somebody that called me as a telemarketer. They sounded robotic, so I can't do it. And I'm like, well, you, what's your favorite movie? Actually, a recent client, he loved Gangs of New York. 
I'm not sure if you've seen that movie, yeah. but Leonardo DiCaprio was amazing in that. Yeah. And I, I said to him, I said, wasn't he amazing? He's like, yeah. I said, didn't he just embody that part? He's like, yeah, it was unbelievable. I said, that's awesome. You remember, you know, he's reading from script, right? Because he's not really that guy. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, I know that. And I'm like, so why is it that people have this robotic thing in their head? Here's why. So for me, you know, a lot of times, I work, you know, when I work with big corporate, I mean, my favorite thing in the world to do and my passion, I spend most of my time working with small business. But when I get work, you know, get to work with these big corporate organizations that pull me in because I'm, I'm seen as one of the best storytelling speakers in the world is when I'm pulled in to talk with them, they're like, oh, but I don't have my own stories. I'm like, you work for an organization. Exchange I worked with to we worked with, and bang, you can inherit any story you want. So go out, and by the way, you don't need hundreds of stories. I've worked with billion-dollar organizations where I've literally said, let's focus on one sales play, let's look at the three major problems within that niche market, and let's create one story for each one of those problems. Now you give that to your brand-new salespeople, and they're like, so I only have to learn three stories? Yes, forget about all the technical jargon. Like when you sell insurance, it's a great example. There's so many things and options. If you say, here is your avatar of client, here is the stories that you need to know, learn those three stories. And when somebody says, oh, I'm not sure if that's going to work for me, you just say, well, I had actually, I perfectly understand. Last thing I want to do is waste any of your time. Actually, you remind me of, you know, John, who, you know, had a very similar problem. You tell this story, and I'm not talking like customer wanted this, so we gave it to them. Like, that's the way most people think they tell stories. They suck. I'm talking about a story more like, you know, how you met your wife or how you met your husband. You know, it's at the start, it was kind of a little bit clunky, but over time, you kind of, you know, abbreviated certain things you embellished on some others it turns out you know it becomes a theatrical masterpiece by the end of it right i say this my wife says this hold each other's hand we look at each other that's how we met that's the kind of story i'm talking about but you can give this to a brand new person and say learn one story deliver it to a client i worked with a commercial real estate company and literally they had one introvert that hadn't made a single sale for like six six months not only had he not made a sale in six months he only made one appointment that was borderline useless in his own words And literally within six months, he gravitated to the process. He was the number one salesperson in their company. And the way he did it, I mean, he's in his 20s. No one wants to buy a commercial real estate off a 20-year-old, right? They don't have the experience. Mm -hmm. But the stories made him seem like he had 30 years of experience. So people decided just to buy off him. So the difference is that I would suggest, for me, you're right, I lucked out because if if somebody just handed me a script and didn't tell me why sales systemization worked and helped me understand that I can learn the script, embody the script, and then deliver it naturally myself, 100%, I wouldn't want to do it. But for me, the best thing in the world is to work out, you know, one of the things I say all the time, my publisher hates me when I say this, but you don't <laughs> need to buy my book, right? But in, in the, if you go to the introvertsedge.com, in the first chapter, what I do is firstly help introverts overcome their barriers towards selling. But then what I do is I map out the seven-step process. And if you do nothing more than just grab the seven-step headings, put what you currently say in there, you'll first realize there's a bunch of things that don't fit. Don't figure out how to fit them in. Stop saying it to clients because it's probably the wrong stuff. Then you'll realize there's a bunch of stuff out of order and then you'll realize that there's some gaps and you fill those gaps in with great stories, great questions. You'll double your sales in the next 60 days easily. But the thing is that then what you've actually created is the best version of yourself, the best way to present what you do. And once you have that, you can replicate it over and over again and perfect it. And this is the difference. Like, this isn't new stuff. Brian Tracy says the top 10% of all sales performers, you know, regardless of whether you're introverted or extroverted, have a planned presentation. Why? Because then they can perfect it. Now, the people below that, slightly below that, are the extroverts that wing it, 
right? That's yeah. why everyone thinks extroverts make better sales, but they're never going to beat the ones the ones with sales systems. Yep. By the way, Zig Ziglar, Jeb Blunt, mm-hmm. all introverts, yes. right? So the reason for that is that that's why everyone thinks that extroverts make the best salespeople. And of course, way down the bottom are the introverts that suck at selling without a sales system, right? So if you have a sales system, you're always going to get better and better and better. So the focal point then is once you have that, then you can say, okay, so selling now works for me. But then once you've got a system, you practice it, you then present it, and you start to get an understanding of how often you close deals. I mean, no one's going to close every deal, by the way. No No one's going to close every deal. But if it's your niche market, which we can also talk about, and you've got the right message that speaks to that niche, you should close every deal for where your product is an amazing fit. And some of the ones perhaps you're not, if you're willing to push yourself that little bit further, which, you know, it depends. If you niche down, you'll go really, really well. But then when you look at selling, sales is like a science experiment. Once you have that structure, change one thing at a time or you don't know what's blowing up in your face. And if you have that ideology, you know, for me, it's the same with networking. It's the same, you know, my next book's The Introvert's Edge to Networking and it it comes out next week actually. And I do the exact same thing. I'm like 90% of the entire process is 100% planable. I mean, especially these days, you can know who's going to be at the event. You can know, I mean, you can check their Instagram. I mean, I've created a great relationship with, you know, someone at Dell because I checked on their Instagram profile and I realized they were into Peloton. How hard is it to strike up a conversation if you know their absolute hot button, right? So you can go in knowing exactly who you want to talk to, exactly what you want to say, and exactly what outcome, right? If you plan, you're going to beat those extroverts hands down, oh, yeah. you know, because they're not following a system. They're just going in and doing one of two things. They're either transactional networkers. Do you want to buy from me? No. Do you want to buy from me? Everyone hates that guy. Yes. Or the yes. other person that knows that they hate that person but thinks the only other option is to be more aimless and, you know, act like they don't want to sell. But then they walk out with a bunch of business cards. They have no yep. idea what to do with. They're like, oh, I'll just wait for them to call. Of course, they never do. Yeah, so this is um, – I own a sales organization. I've ran the largest insurance sales organization in my state. And one of the things that we did is exactly what you're talking about. First of all, I call it narrative sales, as in there has to be a reason. Like it, there, this idea that there's more to just the transaction, right? If that's all that's done, you're going to lose all the time, right? You need to bring in those people into your story, They need to experience it to understand the value, right? And we understand value through storytelling. We don't look at a spreadsheet and I'm in, like, sign me up, right? That stuff doesn't work, right? They need to understand and they need to feel and see the process through the experience of the story or the narrative that is being told. And I love this idea. And a lot of people, because two, Right. It, it not that it's monotonous, but once you figure out we have different variables of that that narrative. So I understand when I'm going in, I'm talking to somebody and it becomes organic for you when you switch the way that uh, narrative is going to better sustain that relationship or get to where you're trying to go. Right. Because the narrative will fit different people differently. And I usually had four prototype t- uh, clients, the people that said, Okay, listen, I'm I'm here to listen to you, but I don't care, right? And I, and by the way, we're not hiring you, right? Or the people that are saying, hey, we're going out and we're shopping, or a bit. There was four classic people that we knew we met with, and we already yeah. knew it, and so we would just adjust the same narrative, the same story of who we were, the whole value proposition. We tied all that in, and that was very effective, as opposed to what everybody else was. Hey, let me get you some bids. Or, hey, are you interested in looking at this? No. Okay, hey, next year. I'll call you next year. Is it okay if I follow up? 
right? Yeah, I'd really love to do some more work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And two, then when they'd also people would say, well, perfect. Well, why don't you and the other, you know, brokers who you go out to bid and everything like that, we'd say, oh, we don't do that. And they were taken aback, right? They're like, what do you mean you don't do that? And it goes back into the narrative, right? Well, I've told you about who we are and what we do and how good we are. We, we don't, we're not, I'm not here just to work to work, right? And that worked awesome. And it was changing this idea and that narrative and remember who we are. So this is just, and dude, this is, we're talking, we're, we are talking sales here, but this is everything. We're talking organization. We're talking marketing. And this is why you've been so successful because you've been able to communicate the value of your business to other people in a way that is digestible quickly so they can make decisions, right? And that's what it's about. I love this idea that you talk about the step process, because if you go too far out and you get sidetracked, we have very short attention spans, right? We don't want to hear a whole lot of stuff. We really want to hear the value. We need to understand it. It needs to be digestible in a way that works. And to step that out in a process that guarantees your success, but it also breaks it down into ways that you can have KPIs, right? Key performance indicators where then you can adjust as you go along. And as you told in your story in the first, you get better, 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 better. Because you were, I'm assuming, adjusting your KPIs and saying, oh, this doesn't work when we do this. Change that now. And you'd measure it and you get a C. But Absolutely. now we have people like you that have already gone through all the work and can give a framework to other people to say, listen, this is how we did it. But it's not, you're not giving the script, you're giving the framework that they can apply to their own business, that they can apply to their own life, Right. That's exactly right. And I think one of the important things is, you know, and regardless of whether you use my system or somebody else's, first thing, sales is not like martial arts. So don't try and integrate seven different processes together because that will just, you'll fall on your face. Pick one mentor, regardless of whether it's me or somebody else, find one mentor, understand their step process and follow that, learn it, embrace it, practice it and better it. Once you get Mm -hmm. to a higher level pot where you're like, I'm just awesome at this, then okay, start to research some other things and change one thing at a time. But a lot of times, you know, people don't spend that amount of time doing it and KPIing it like you're saying. And also they they tick a box too easily. For instance, storytelling, we talked about the the emotional elements like, like how you met your wife, but people are, oh yeah, yeah, great story and they you know i worked with a billion dollar tech company recently and they told me this story about how they moved this customer into the cloud and i was like okay well that's great and i they they spent i spent 45 minutes no kidding interrogating them on the details of the story because every person there's seven people on that team had a different part of the story yeah at the end 45 seconds i explained it back to them and they're like how did you do that and i'm like well there's this simple template um by the way people can access that template at matthewpollard.com forward slash storytelling but it's this five sorry four step template that really walks people through the the process but what i sort of highlight is i'm a little bit concerned though i'm like you keep calling him the cto like did he not have a name like what what was his name Oh, his name was David. I'm like, because I can't feel the plight of yeah. CTO. Yes. When it comes to David, I can feel it all. I said, the second thing is you said that he wanted to move into the cloud. Why did he want to move into the cloud? Like you said, you've been chasing him for years. What changed? Yes. Well, it turns out this was a government organization and the uh, server went down just before Christmas. They couldn't run payroll. Can you imagine being the CTO that was responsible for no one getting paid before the biggest spending season of the year? Uh, and D- not only David's that, yeah, literally his worst nightmare. 
Oh, horrible. And not only that, his team's worst nightmare because guess who didn't get to see their kids at Christmas, right? So David feels horrible. Well, David actually got a promotion at the end because of how well the organization came, moved them into the cloud so it would never happen again. But you can imagine this guy worried about losing his job ends up getting promoted. You know, you can feel that, right? We had this one gym franchise and literally she she was so proud of the story. She had this, you know, lady that was going to cancel her gym membership and she gave her a fitness plan and, you know, she ended up losing her target weight and she's still a member of the gym. Great story. Why did she join the gym in the first place? Turns out she was trying to get pregnant and she couldn't get pregnant. I'm like, did you think she felt like she was letting her whole family down? Okay, well, let's move forward now to she got to a target weight. Did she get pregnant? How are her parents about being grandparents? Are they excited? These are the parts of the story that most people miss, and they make such a difference. But the thing is, and this is going back, as I said, like, yes, we have this point of the story where sales is greatly improved by having a great system and understanding the strategies of the story. But there are things you can do beforehand because if you are an insurance person, but you sell to you sell life insurance to consumers, you sell you know uh, business insurance to, to companies, and you've got you're just selling to everyone. You've got to have a lot more stories. Actually, a great example from the insurance industry is I worked with a guy Nick and Nick Jensen and. He, when he first came to me, he, he sold insurance and he worked for a, a larger organization, but he was looking for that edge on, you know, he found networking events horrible. I mean, let's face it, when most people go to networking events, it's like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I sell insurance. Run away, run away. It's yeah. like the last thing you want to hear, right? Yeah, no kidding. So he was like, how do I get past that? Because people aren't willing to listen. I said, well, you can't be an insurance salesperson, plain and simple, right? Firstly, you're a commodity. There's thousands of them. Yeah. But secondly, not only that, everyone knows, like like literally Groundhog Day, you'll remember you, you're Bill Murray walking up. Oh, what do you do? I sell insurance. And he's like, oh, how do I get away? Step yes. in a big pile of water to try and run away. Uh-huh. We all have these thoughts. I said, well, help me understand. Like for you, help me understand the clients you like to work with more, right? Just to get an understanding of his passion because everyone gets into business for a reason, right? And these days, people like to know you're passionate about what you're doing. You don't don't want to walk up to someone and go, you know, I've been dying to work with you because I've been dying to use your commission check to get my new Mercedes Benz. It just doesn't work so well. (laughs) So secondly, you can always make more money doing what you're passionate about. And I don't say that in the woo-woo way, just follow your dreams and it'll all be okay. You've got to have a business model. But the truth is, is no one, if you can think about the amount of energy an introvert right now is putting in this podcast interview, right? The reason for that is because this doesn't drain me as much as you think because I'm passionately talking about what I love. So with Nick, I'm like, tell me about the type of clients you work with. And he's like, well, I really, you know, anyone that that needs insurance. I'm like, well, who do you like working with most? Like, are we, t- you know, the the small family that earns like fifty grand between them versus the guy that earns two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He goes, well, obviously the two fifty because he can afford more insurance, bigger commission check, right? And I'm like, okay, we're not getting anywhere there. Yeah. Help me understand. I mean, help me understand the difference between what about a guy that's hustled through, studied at Harvard, got into the big corporate job, got to C-suite, earns great money versus the business owner that kind of has created something out of nothing, hustled to create jobs for people and now runs his own business successfully. Which one of those do you care more about? And he's like, well, obviously the business owner. I'm like, why obviously? They're both hustled. Yeah. And he went, I just feel like they deserve it more. I'm like, explain that. He's like, well, my grandfather owned a farm. and you know, I watched him spend his whole life managing that farm, creating livelihoods for other people. And then, you know, he he didn't have, um, you know, insurance and he got sick 
And he ended up having to sell the farm and move into this apartment. And I just watched him, you know, just die the last 10 years of his life, just die in front of a television, this this, you know, this yeah. shell of a man. And I said, well, hang on a second, you sell insurance. How would that have helped? And then he started detailing all these great life insurance policy plans where you can put money in and then get great interest rate to leverage into high-yield commercial yeah. real estate. I was blown away at how much he knew. And I said, hold a second. If we were to instead of saying you're an insurance person, what if we were to call you the hustle lifeguard? And instead of focusing on everyone, we just focus on people that have hustled to create something, a small business that employs others to help them look after themselves. And we set up these stories where you look at the three major things about them not you know, prioritizing their insurance needs. And then, you know, one of the stories is your father and we set up two other stories, but you get up every day and you just help those people. Well, he went from mediocre results to the number one performer. He now owns his own business as the hustle lifeguard. And, you know, he's got his own contracts and he's doing amazingly well. You know, his, his life is so much better because now when he goes to networking events, if he says his stories, obviously the people that aren't small business owners may be interested because they still will be attracted to his passion, which we don't see all the time. But the small business owners are like, yes, I need to work with you. I get it. I understand it. They're attracted to his passion. And then when he gets into the sales system, it's so much simpler. You know, it, this is so important because, you know, I run multiple businesses, uh, uh, commercial real estate, um, product sales, um, it, and it doesn't matter what we're doing. Like, you know, a lot of our invest, uh, a lot of our listeners are investors, a lot of this, because I, and I think why what you're saying is so important too is not just to the point of sell. It's not point of position your business, but it's also aligning your core being. It's who you really are and what you're when you say passionate and I and I love how you say not in the fluffy way. It's deeper. Right. And that's the deeper inner story we tell ourselves. And then also when you're communicating that inner story to other people, it flows so naturally and the people see it in your eyes. They see it in your actions and they fall for it because they go, oh, that's aligned with who you are. Right. And we subconsciously we just know it. And when you're not aligned and you're trying to sell product, we all know because we've all had the job where we're trying to sell in a certain way that we either don't care, right? I'm trying to get a check. I'm trying to do whatever. And it just comes out. And people subconsciously, I don't know what it is. They know. They just know. They feel it. They feel it in their being. And you can create amazing sales scripts to make that work. And, and, and you can and you can close more deals. But if you have the right message, you know the niche, especially in today's global economy with where you can use technology, psychology, and strategy to get your ideal clients to chase you, it changes everything. I mean, you were talking about, you know, commercial real estate. I mean, I had a, a client, actually, I was, I was talking about this on a podcast recently. Um, there was a client of mine that sold commercial real estate syndication. I mean, when you say that to someone, it just sounds like a Ponzi scheme, right? Like <laughs> yes. people that don't understand, they're like, what? Yeah, that, that sounds, I'm not giving which, you my money. I don't run a Ponzi sc- scheme, scheme, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Exactly. It sounds terrible. But it the does. thing is that what I said to him is, again, doing this research and understanding, he had, he said, anyone that I'm introduced, his father was, you know, in the medical world and, you know, introduced him to a few doctors and doctors and surgeons. And anytime they'd get an introduction, he would get them involved and get them to finance deals he was working on. But when it came to talking to new people, they heard the word syndication or he overcomplicated the the explanation because let's face it, introverts especially, but anyone in the highly technical space tends to overwhelm people with way too much information. So he said, it just, it just went horribly wrong. 
And I said, okay, well, help me understand, but you work with doc, you, 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 you seem to be passionate about working with doctors. Why? Well, you know, his dad's a doctor. So he's, sorry, his father-in-law was a doctor and he felt like that was a great profession, but he kind of discovered that these people get themselves trapped with kind of golden handcuffs, right? They earn amazing money, but I mean, it's pretty hard to feel sorry for them, but it's, you know, when you understand it, they're driving a Bentley, they are living in a fancy place, their kids are in Harvard, and they spend every dollar that comes in as quickly as it comes in, yep. and they've got no idea how to replace their income. So they go to a real estate investment summit, and they then start doing townhouses and little things like that, and then the renters don't pay up, the property values go down, because someone with 50000 has got lots of time to spend working out what property they want to buy. But the doctor's got to get it done and get back to work. Yes. So because of that, they're making quick snap decisions. And I said, so commercial real estate, the way I see it, affords doctors, lawyers, anyone with a high income, affords them the opportunity to invest in properties that other people with lower incomes but can't get access to. And because of that, they make higher yield returns. He's like, well, yeah. I said, it sounds like you're really passionate about working with doctors and surgeons and, and organize people like that. He's like, yes. I said, well, let's call you the arbitrage architect then, right? Arbitrage means to buy low and sell high. Focus on when you go to networking events, instead of saying you're in syndication, go, oh, I'm the arbitrage architect. Well, think about the difference that makes. Instead of going syndication, now you're in defensive mode, or I'm in commercial real estate. Oh, I know what that is. I don't need that. Right. And now you've yeah. got to convince and cajole. And the arbitrage architects, people lean forward and go, what exactly is that? And now you get to explain on their invitation. That's powerful because now you can talk about your passion and mission and then get into a story on their invitation rather than jamming it down their throat. So what I suggest is call yourself the arbitrage architect, talk about your passion and mission for helping these golden handcuffs, you know, surgeons and doctors, and then lead into a story of someone you helped. Well, he did this and literally, I mean, he now gets picked. He started a podcast and the podcast led to a, an association of 3,000 doctors reaching out because that's he advertised his niche. So you don't need to be that great a salesperson if you, you have your yeah. exact right buyer reaching out all the time. But also he gets pick of, is in Canada, pick of the best investment opportunities because people hear his message and reach out to him because he works with doctors that have got money. And also, he now has a consulting business on the side that's well over six figures that didn't exist before, all out of becoming his own identity. So a lot of people will say, how do I learn sales techniques? I'm like, before you do that, you need to realize you need to stop commoditizing yourself. People are tired of features and discounts. Yes. They're looking for messages that they identify with. And for that, they'll pay a premium. So what you've got to say is, what are the things that I do outside the scope of my functional skill? What's the higher level benefit of that? For you know Shane, he you know that was arbitrage architecture. For me, I'm a business coach, a branding expert, a sales systemization strategist. I mean, I'm so many things. Nobody cares, truthfully, yeah. right? They don't care how hard it was for me to learn these things, how long it took me. But when I say I'm the rapid growth guy and I work exclusively with service providers to help them obtain rapid growth, the simplicity of that message gets me heard in the crowded marketplace. Then you say, what's the unmet need I deliver on? And for Shane, it was doctors helping them get out of the golden handcuffs. For me, it's introverted service providers to create a rapid growth business that they love. As soon as you have that, the people you attract, the people that you meet at networking events, because you're going to different networking events, change. And even the people you meet digitally online change. And then all of a sudden, your sales become so much simpler. You follow a system, your stories are all about doctors, or in my case, introverted service providers. And all of a sudden, you create this rapid growth business. And now, thanks to technology, you can share your stories and your message in digital interactions. 
which yeah. things like podcasts are great. You share it here, thousands of people listen, and you yeah. don't even need to go into a networking room. But if you can't explain what you do in a two-minute conversation without getting into jargon or people where you feel like you need to defend, you've got no hope online. People flick through podcasts quickly. People yes. close tabs on screens. You've got no hope. And if, if you've lived through COVID, if you're still living through COVID, you need to know that you've got to have the right message. You've got to know your niche. And then you've got to get your sales system right. And when you have that, you don't need to worry about things like digital ads and all that crazy, you know, those tactics. If the strategy is right, you can do all the tactics half-baked and you'll still get better than average results. Yeah. I, you know, it's so interesting, this whole, because in the my business process and everything that we've come through this year, as all my listeners and everything have, have known, I've been shift over to become the self-storage guy, basically, where I wrote a book and have the largest podcast in the world, the best-selling book on self-storage. And um, that was something that I kind of stumbled into because I lost my job on the insurance broker from being paralyzed. And it was weird because after that happened, I started, it was the clearer we became about that, the more results that I received. And, you know, that was a struggle over three years to clarify because of, you know, obviously from being paralyzed, thing like figuring out who the heck and what am I doing here? But the clearer we got on that message, the more results we saw, the more speaking we saw getting booked, the more opportunities we started to, to receive. And it just, everything came in more and more and more. And that clarity was so important. And that message that I think was being lost overall. Um, so I'm still in the middle of doing a lot of the stuff that you talked about, where it's this evolution that I we're figuring because we're still tinkering, right? So I'm I'm really excited to go check out your site and uh, and learn more about this. Because another thing too, you talk about a lot is the branding aspect of this, and this is something that is I've always understood on the company side, right? Branding, yeah. message, things like that. But it's been an interesting evolu evolution over the last little bit for me in saying me, right? And you <laughs> well, talk so much about that. You're not talking about like their companies and what they do, everything like that. They're like, who are you? What is the message? And how do people remember you? And that well, result is changed. huge. The world's changing. People buy people, not companies anymore. Yeah. Like if you work for Intel, if you work for IBM, if you work for yourself, People are buying from you. And, yes. you know, that's, I mean, we live in this amazing world now where everybody can have their own business with their laptop and internet connection, right? And that's amazing because the world has said, I don't want to pay a big corporation $1,000 an hour when they then pay all their staff and the person that ends up doing my job is $50 an hour down here. Why yeah. don't I just pay $75 an hour to the guy that usually gets 50 and he's running his business from home? Well, with a little bit of coaching from me, he could probably be charging $1,000 too and getting, yeah. you know, getting all the money himself. But truthfully, people these days are looking for exceptional talent. But what happens is when you go to a conversation with, in a networking event or even, I mean, when you're having a cold call or or doing a, by the way, um, for those people that aren't using the, um, the, the voice memo function in LinkedIn where you send somebody a voice note, because you can convey passion in those memos where you can't as much in text on LinkedIn. So if you're in, you know, currently selling digitally, you should be doing that. But people can feel the difference. I mean, most times, you know, a lot of people go through days without, they're in a void of passion. There's just none. And then if they hear somebody speak, you know, I've had people that I, I like, I will literally go and speak on a keynote stage at a corporation and talk about my passion for helping small business. 
and I'm not, you know, pandering to the corporate environment because my strategies are great and, you know, it works for the corporate environment. But I, I don't, I talk about niche marketing and even in corporations, each person that's in the sales team needs to focus on their own niche. So the strategies apply, but it's about what the person cares about. So for me, when you're, as you're going through this, one of the things that I would I would always suggest is you have what I call outcome niches, which I would always suggest have, or sorry, outcome messages and outcome niches that are much stronger. So what you've done is you've said, and if your industry is not that, you know, capital, you know, if, if it's not that saturated, you're fine. But if you were to call yourself the autoresponder guy, for instance, if you went to a networking event and said, I do autoresponders, well, everyone knows autoresponders are about $100 an email, 10 emails is about $1,000. So what I had to do with the client that literally called himself the autoresponder guy is we called him the re-engager. We focused on e-commerce stores that weren't re-engaging with their clientele and helped them realize how much money was getting lost. He even built the small uh, email sequence in, and that then led to millions of dollars of additional profit for them. And he charged them $42,000 a year to manage that system, right? So, you know, he had 80 clients before that where he was charging them all $1,000 each. And he was making about 40000 after costs on 80 clients, literally 42000 from one client, and now he's got a ton of them. So the, the focal point, really, when you look at this messaging is you need to realize that because people now buy people, then your unified message is something you can share on your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter profile, your Instagram, your, your niche is who you're passionate about. So sure, your organization works with a ton of people and you could literally pick up the phone and dial all of them and connect with everybody on LinkedIn. Or you could say, well, I'm super passionate about this group. And because of that, you're not bending yourself. You're actually speaking from a point of authenticity and saying, this is why. Now, every single person that has a job could have chosen between probably three, four, five jobs. And you went to school to get this specific type of job. You could have gone to school to to study for a different type of job. So because of that, you need to go back to why did I actually get involved in this in in the first place? For Nick, it was literally because he decided that he watched his his grandfather wither away and die and he decided that he could help people never do that again. But then he got into the job and went, I've got all these products, I've got to sell to everybody. As soon as he came back to this is my niche market, this is what my unique skill set is because he'd done all that research about putting the money into the insurance products because he was passionate about that. As soon as you put all that together, how do you compete with that? You can't. Anybody that's selling insurance next to him, he's not even selling against them. He's in a market of his own. So what I would always suggest to people when they do this, and actually, you know what? There's a five-step template I created that will help you create your unified message and discover your niche of willing to buy clients. And my big focus is, you know, don't be, if you sell insurance, think about, you know, Nick, if he called himself the insurance guy compared to the, the, the hustle lifeguard, or if you, if, if, you know, um, Shane called himself the syndication guy as opposed to the arbitrage architect. It's different, right? It's much more impactful if people can't go, oh, I know what that is, but he's put the word guy behind it. So that said, if you are in a super, super niche, you don't need to be that creative because you're the only one in the space. And you get, and then as it grows, you've got first mover advantage, but you'll find a lot of people start nibbling at your ankles pretty soon. Yeah. But what I would suggest is people can go, I've, I've got a five-step template I created, which will help people create, you know, uh, discover their own niche of willing to buy clients and create their own unified message. And so people can go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth to download that. And I actually, I did it at the National Freelance Conference. It would have been about two and a half years ago now. And I, at the end, it was about 200 people in the room. And I said, put your hand up if you now have a message that you think will excite and inspire people to want to know more at a networking event. So when you say, instead of saying, I'm a business coach, people go, oh, yeah, you say this. And they're like, yes. 
and you've identified your niche you're willing to buy clients. So you go to the right networking events or you reach out to the right people online, people that are, you know, you know, see you as the only will see this as the only logical choice and will be motivated to buy. 97% of the room put their hands up, which sounds great until I ask the second question, which is keep your hand up if this is the most time you spent on marketing since you started your business. 85% out of the room kept their hands up. So the key is this absolutely works if you do it. What I would recommend is people go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth and download the template, but partner up with a buddy that doesn't work in your industry because we get caught up in our industry jargon. Yeah. Do the exercise because, you know, otherwise we get caught up and we explain and people are, oh, I know what that means. Well, your customers won't. So partner, get them to listen. You know, if they're not listeners to this podcast now, then recommend it because clearly they have great content and say, listen to this episode, download the template. And I want to meet with you on next Tuesday and we'll do this together and spend an hour on you or let them spend an hour on you. And then you spend an hour on them and your business will be totally different. Then if you go to introvertsedge.com, download the sales system, things will be miles, miles better. And of course, if you go to the introvertsedge.com forward slash networking, that's my new book. And obviously, I go into a lot more detail on how to do this yourself in that. But, you know, for those people that just want to start with a template that will really help them, you know, cut that learning curve, that will absolutely do it for you. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, I don't want to take your whole night. Um, I appreciate you, you know, coming on here and giving so much information. And we will put two of those things in the notes. But um, thank you. Thank you for coming on. And thank you for sharing uh, what's been working for you. My absolute pleasure, AJ. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Talk soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number two freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.